Well, happy Monday, everybody. This week, we're going to go over Exodus chapter 19. And uh, this little section here, it's actually a very important section in God's <clears throat> uh, redemptive history because it's actually going to reveal something that um, the Israelites should know. And it really for us, something that we need to be, remi <clears throat> be reminded of as well. And that is our God is holy. Uh, our, our God is holy and as distinct as unique from the rest of creation. It's uh, everything that we see and experience and you know, all anything that our senses uh, can react to our, our response because uh, we, are we are created beings and there is a creator that's outside of creation. Uh, and that is our God. He is something that's distinct. All the idols that people worship in this life, everything that people enjoy in this life, these are all man-made. But our God is a God that's distinct and holy in that way. Um, the Israelites need to understand this lesson that uh, just because they worship, I mean, I mean this is a time, a time in a world where people believed in a God. There were no atheists in this time. Everyone believed in something. Uh, early on in the when we were going through the book of Exodus and uh, when we went through all each of the plagues I was talking about how each of these plagues were supposed to be attack against this, a particular deity now uh, so when you know when when Moses comes up and says like oh yeah this is another God they're really just it was like a battle of for the soul of, of the Israelites uh, the covenant people of God and that like these gods that the Egyptians worship are not the real God but there's only one true God and that is found in Yahweh and this chapter shows his, I mean, the, throughout this whole book shows his power, but this part is in particular, uh, is, 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 should be interesting to us because this is right before he gives the Ten Commandments. Before he, show, before he tells you what you need to do to be holy, he's going to show you how different he is from all, all of creation. And I think in our time, when we think of holiness, we actually, um, it's one of those attributes I think we, we misunderstand um, or, or we don't take it seriously. Um, people don't like to think that God is holy because um, they see themselves as, you know, oh, God is just like me, just like all of other creation. And that's true in that every other false deity, every other false God mirrors humanity. But God is distinct. He is out. He is beyond us. He doesn't, he's not confined uh, by the limits of man. He's not concocted by, <coughs> by the minds of men as well. Uh, so when we get to this chapter, when we walk through it today, uh, I want you to just think about the holiness of God and how that is supposed to impact the way that you live your life. Because we are called to be holy people, just like the, our God is holy. And when we see this text, um, I, I, I know we live in a world where there's so much, like, uh, special effects and like movie and stuff like that and that really kind of diminishes the supernatural but this actually happened and you have to remember that exodus 19 happened at a real point in time and god revealing himself to the to real people the real god did all of these things is written down as a record for us to know him so chapter 19 uh, again this is right after chapter 18 which is when jethro gives Moses some advice in terms of how he can go and minister uh divvy up the work to minister uh, to the people of Israel because there's so many of them and there's no way that Moses can uh, can shepherd or care for all of them so he t he gives them this advice where he has to just care for uh, godly individuals and those people go and care for everyone else it's just kind of like a delegating process um, by which everyone can uh, serve and for Moses just to teach um, the things of God to those that are uh, that he has a point as leaders over uh, the nation of Israel 
So here, this is chapter 19, and we see um, uh, how God is going to reveal himself. Now, here we go, chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, so that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And then there's just something just to note here, and that it is the third month after they left Egypt. Now, this trek as a whole does not actually take that long, from Egypt all the way until Canaan. If you were to just walk it, it should only take you about two weeks or less. Um, but because of their own sinfulness, because of all the complaints and grumbling that they have, uh, that they end up having to take a huge detour. Uh, but now, at this particular time, they're in front of Mount Sinai. When they set uh, out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And there's also something here to note. Up until this point, the Jews were generally known as the Hebrews. Like they, they were known as just the Hebrew people. Uh, and they made some short uh, little references here and there that they're from the covenant line of Israel. But this is a point where they actually constantly will call them by that name, that they're actually going to be known as Israel from here on out. Um, and now we're going to see. Uh, th th the reason why that is is because there's a covenant connection back to Israel, the person. Uh, so he's saying, like, you are now my covenant people, and I'm fulfilling the promise I've made in the past through everything that you see. Verse 3, Moses went up to go to God, and uh, the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you uh, to myself. Now this is this this phrase, bore you evil wings, this is, is a common phrase we see in the Psalms and we see in Isaiah as well, but how we, um, that the Lord hides us in his wings, this will show his power. And this verse here is essentially just a summary of all that has happened so far, that God has protected them in a very unique way and brought them out of Egypt and to himself. They're, not, they're no longer slaves of the Egyptians, but they're slave to Yahweh. Verse 5, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy mountain, holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people. And it's interesting here, this is following up with what happened in uh, Exodus 18. He was only ministering to, he's only really speaking to the leaders um, to help him in terms of uh, uh, guiding the people. Verse 7, And set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together, All that Yahweh had spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moses, People, I will come to you in a, third, in a thick cloud, so that the people <coughs> may hear when I speak uh, with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words to the people to to Yahweh. Now, this is very interesting because Moses goes back and forth and back and forth. He goes up the mountain. He, he gets a revelation of God. He goes down. He tells people what to do. He goes back up. He goes down. This happens actually multiple times throughout this chapter. He keeps going back and forth and back and forth. Verse 10, Then uh, Yahweh also, uh, said, also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them to today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall... Uh, set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. 
Again, this is supposed to show you that where God lands and he, well, he decides the perimeter of what is holy or not. Before, this, before God was going to get on this mountain, this mountain was just like any other mountain. But the moment that God um, was going to use this mountain for a special purposes, that whole mountain is now sacred. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but in, when the president or vice president, whatever plane that they're in, that plane becomes Air Force One or Air Force Two. Air Force Two is where the vice president is. Air Force One is where the president is. Whatever plane they occupy. So usually it's that huge hangar plane that they have, but then, oh, not hangar plane. They have this huge plane that they go into. Uh, but if they even, let's say, uh, walked onto like in those dust croppers, like the farm when the farmer uses, that immediately becomes Air Force One. Um, so that's kind of like the idea here. The, um, the whole situation changed the moment God appears. So this mountain, this will be so sacred and unique that anything that touches it is going to die. Now, anything, I mean, I, I wonder, I, I wish I was kind of there. Just, just look at the ground to see the ants that actually try to walk up this hill, you know, or, or maybe like a little badger or just a little deer that just like jumps onto a hill. Like he's saying that everything that touches it will die. And then that seems so strange to us because like, why would God do that? Well, it's because again, the, our, our concept and our understanding of holiness is so shallow that we think like, well, what's just, what's a big deal? Ants or, or, or deers or badgers or whatever. Like, why, why is that a big deal? Because everything is corrupted. And when God decides to be in a place and he makes something holy or distinct, that's, that itself will be holy and consecrated for him. And he wants the people to do that. He wants them to be prepared to meet him, to engage him. And he tells them that no one's going to touch even the, t like the tip, the bottom, or no one's going to touch the mountain or they will die. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, meaning like um, uh, basically uh, he's going to get killed. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically what it means, uh, that he's going to, there's going to be shot by an arrow. Uh, <coughs> Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments and they said to be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. This is for multiple reasons. It could be for sexual purity. Like it keeps, uh, don't do anything sexual with anyone. Or in case there's a woman that's like going through her menstrual cycles and they might pull you through her blood, just stay away. This is the idea that in this time you will prepare yourself to make yourself distinct and prepare yourself to meet God. Verse 16. So it came on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. So Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Um, we'll see later on that the, they, they just like listen to Moses. Like they just see all the smoke and thunder and lightning and they're like, okay, you know, Moses, you could just go up for us. Uh, because they were actually terrified at what they're seeing. Again, this is hard for us to imagine because we live in the time of those Hollywood and special effects and things that you could do even with your own smartphone. But this is something that you can't even imagine. Like again, this is this happened for real. There was no special effects. There was no sound. There was no smoke uh, smoke machine or fog machine or anything like that. This all just happened supernaturally as God appears to them. Uh, verse eighteen. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended from in. From it in fire and its smoke ascended like smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder moses spoke and god answered him with the thunder the lord came down uh, on mount sinai on top of the mountain and the and yahweh called moses to top of the mountain and moses went up 
Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, "Go down, warn the people, so that they do not break through the Lord to, to break through to the Lord to gaze, uh, and many of them perish. So let the priests who come near the, come near, come near to Yahweh consecrate themselves, or else Yahweh will break out against them." Moses said to Yahweh, "The people cannot come up to the mountain." Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then Yahweh said to them, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron, with you. Now let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, or he will break forth upon them. And this is like another warning, that you not come up, you only come up when I want you to come up, or when I allow you to come up. And this is the role of the priest. They're supposed to mediate between God and man. So there's constantly going back and forth. And we see it one more time in verse 25. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So this is this is uh, chapter 19, where we see this uniqueness, this holiness of God that's very distinct. And I think when we think about holiness, the more we understand how, how holy God really is, that really is going to change the way that we view life, the way that we, we view worship, the way that we view uh, interacting with God when we read it, the way that we interview, uh, the interact with the Lord in prayer, um, all of these areas is going to be it's going to be really different when we understand that our God is a different God. He's a He's a cut above the rest. He's in category of, the, of His own. He's in His league of His own. He's distinct. He is a holy God, and this is the God that we worship. This is a God that we're called to emulate and to be like. Um, and I hope that as we go through this passage again some more this week. That the more you see God's holiness, the more you understand what it takes to be with Him, to draw close and near to Him, that that will compel your heart to live a life of holiness. Holiness is not just like, just um, it's not just merely doing the right things, but actually having the right affections that lead you to do the right things. And if you love the Lord, then everything after that will 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 make you more like Christ. But if you have a low view of God's holiness, you're not going to be a holy individual. So this week, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what it takes to be close with God. And what does it mean that God is holy? And I'll just give the outline that being that God being holy means that we need a mediator, that we're separated from Him, and that we're, in, and that we're also condemned because of our sin. And maybe we put it in a way that rhymes. Would be, uh, it would be mediation, and there's separation, and there's condemnation. Because of who God is, because of how distinct and unique He is, there always needs to be a way. There has to. There's a natural barrier between us and this holy God. But we know from Scripture that is Jesus. But we do. But I think diving into this text some more, we, want, we I hope that it will make us appreciate Jesus more, so that we can be holy and distinct, the way that He expects us to. Thanks for listening. I hope this is helpful. I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you.